It's good to see you guys. I love doing this. I love doing this. It's so cool. I, I snuck out and I went upstairs to go. The classrooms are just smashed full, man. It's, it's incredible. I love that our church loves to learn. So important. So uh, I thought Rob did a great job um, of letting you guys know kind of what's going on in Texas and ways to support. Over the, over the months, a few of you have actually asked me if I'm going to be moving to Texas or, or if, or if I'm going to buy a place in Texas. And I, I said, no, I'm going to buy two places because my wife wants to have her own place. We're not moving to Texas, but we will be there often and just so excited about what the Lord's doing. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. A lot of moving parts that are going to need to be moving. And, and all of that, church, all of it has to be bathed in prayer. I beg you to be praying. I beg you in these early weeks and days and months, please keep those people, those folks, that community, us pastors, the leaders, please, please, please be in prayer. Would you do that, please? I beg of you, be in prayer. We must go before any work and we must be praying. So keep praying. Please sign up to pray. Commit to pray. Please. Good to be here with you guys. From... (laughs) From 1978 to 1986, there was a popular television show called Different Strokes. Maybe you remember that. The show was quite funny and centered around two young boys named Arnold and Willis. And where we get the old saying, you know, what you talking about, Willis? The boy's mother had been the maid for a man named Mr. Drummond, but she had passed away. And not wanting the boys to be left to meander and wander in the project's Mr. Drummond adopted adopted them and brought them to live in his penthouse instead of being in the projects. And the whole show revolved around these two boys from the projects trying to learn how to live in the penthouse. Much comedy surrounded them bringing old ways into a new environment. There was great entertainment in seeing Mr. Drummond try to educate these young men in the finer things of their new environment. The question of the show then was whether or not you could take the boys out of the projects, put them in the penthouse, and expect them to leave the projects behind. The whole show was about how difficult it is for people to get rid of old patterns once those old patterns have been established. When the Lord found you, when the Lord found me, when the Lord found each and every one of us, We were in the spiritual projects. And He's now seated us in the heavenly places. We're in the penthouse, church. But many of us have drug along with us a lot of the old patterns from the old neighborhood. And it's hard, and so we learn how to function in the penthouse and leave the projects behind. In God's Word, those patterns are called the flesh. And the flesh is not merely the body but our body with its old patterns, our old ways of living. Isn't that a great, great analogy? We are learning today. We'll learn more tomorrow and more the next day, next week, next month, next year how to live in the penthouse that God has called us to and adopted us into and how to leave those old patterns behind. Amen? Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. I can't believe we're plowing through this what seems like so quickly. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We've got six, seven verses to cover. Verses 20, uh, 15 through 21 
of Ephesians 5. Turn with me there. We're going to read that, we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about our outline for, for our time together. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Let's read that together. Therefore, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, be careful. <laughs> Is that a word that describes us? Are we careful? Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we indeed are here because we need to learn and we're eager to learn how to be careful how we walk. We want to walk wisely, Lord, not unwisely. We want to make the most of our time. And we want to understand what Your will is for us, Lord. Help us to do that. Lord, have Your way with us, we pray, in the mighty name of Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Let me give you the outline of our seven verses. The first three verses, 15, 16, and 17, is we've got to escape from this, this idea of, of being foolish, of walking unwisely, walking in a foolish manner. That's something we need to escape all the time. Because it's what we're prone to in our flesh, is to walk unwisely and to be foolish in our walk. And we are to be eagerly filled with the Spirit of God because without the Spirit of God, we can't walk wisely. Without the Spirit of God, without understanding what God's will is, we will walk unwisely. And then we'll see the evidence of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 19, he talks about something. In verse 20, and in verse 21, he talks about something. In verse, we'll get there later. In verse 19, that we'll be full of joy. In verse 20, we'll be full of thankfulness. And in verse 21, that we will learn how to be submissive to one another. Let's do our first stanza, verses 15 through 17. Let's read that again. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are three pairs. There are three pairs of items or concepts or ideas in these three verses. Three pairs. And those three pairs are mentioned to point out a purpose. Let me unpack this for us. Let's look at the first pair. These things are equal to each other. So this is the first pair. There's an A and a B. The first part is found in uh, verse 15. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise. So the first part of pair 1, 1A, is don't walk unwisely. The second part to that is found in verse 17, where it says, do not be foolish. Do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. If somebody says to you, hey, would you think that was wise? Well, it was probably unwise. Oh, so it was foolish. Well, I didn't say that. No, that's exactly, biblically, what we're talking about. We either do something, we act and do something wisely, or we act and do something foolishly. So that's the first pair. We're not to be unwise. We're not to be foolish. 
That's what Paul's telling us. Be careful. Don't walk as unwise men. Don't be foolish. Here's the second pair. The first one is found in 15. Walk as wise people, right? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The second part to that is found in verse 17. Understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? So we're either going to be unwise and foolish, or we're going to be wise. And what's equated with wise is understand what the will of God is. We cannot be wise outside of knowing the will of God, which draws us to his word, which draws us to godly fellowship, which draws us to our knees to make sure we understand what the will of God is, because then and only then can we walk wisely. Make sense? So that's the second parable. Let me tell you a few more things about this. When it says in verse 15, walk as wise, when it says in verse 17, understand, that's a pretty powerful word. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Church, listen, we are to comprehend intellectually God's will. There's no way around that. We are to comprehend intellectually God's will. Well, that's a little bit of a problem for a guy like me who is not the most intellectual person I know. But I, there's no way around it. I have to put in the time. Maybe I have to put in more time than you. Maybe you have to put in more time than me. We are to comprehend intellectually God's will. Jesus himself said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. He says other things, heart, mind, soul, and strength. But in all three of those, he says we are to love him with all of our minds. So if you're like me and you have a small mind, it shouldn't take that long. Because that's all I got. So I can love the Lord with all my mind. It won't take very long. We are to love the Lord with all of our mind. So we have work to do. We have work to do. If we're going to be pleasing to God and understand his will. Remember last week in verse 10, if you look in verse 10, it says, learn What is pleasing to God? That's verse 10. Verse 17 says, understand the will of God. We are to learn and understand. We are to learn and understand. There's no way around it. I wish there was. We must put in the time to learn what pleases our Lord, to understand his will so that we can walk wisely and not foolishly. Amen? So, we got work to do. Here's the key. We're not just to know his will. It doesn't say so that you can know his will. It says so we can understand it. I can know God's will. I can execute God's will without understanding what it means. It's much better if we understand it. We'll be more prone to do it. So we're encouraged to learn what pleases God, to understand his will, not just to know it. When my kids were younger, hey, they needed to know my will, but better if they understood my will. The third pair, verse 15 says, be careful how you walk. That's 3A, if you will. That gets married with verse 16, making the most of your time. Be careful how you walk goes with make the most of your time. How often, then, if that's the case, if that's the challenge, how often do we measure our lives this way? How often do you judge yourself and critique yourself for if you're walking carefully and are you making the most of your time? How careful are you in your walk? 
It's a big word. Where, another way to put it is, where are you careless? If you're not careful, maybe you're careful in a lot of things, but where are you careless? Mm, Yeah, that, that actually speaks to me differently. Where are you careless? How careful are you with your time? When it says to make the most of your time, how careful are you and I with our time? Where are we bleeding time? The great, the great and crazy and wonderful, complex thing about preparing a message is I've got to wrestle with it during the week. And so when I'm writing this stuff down, I have to say to God, wow, where, where am I bleeding time? Am I making the most of my time? And if I'm not, where am I bleeding time? And the Lord says, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. And it didn't take long. To, to recognize some areas where I was bleeding time. Where in our lives is wisdom flourishing? If we're to walk wisely and not unwisely, where is wisdom flourishing in our lives? Celebrate that. Praise the Lord for that. But where does foolishness persist in your lives? Where do you keep going down those paths of foolishness that you need to let go of and repent and say, God, I need help? See, listen, this word for careful, therefore be careful, The Greek word carries the idea, oh man, of walking with precision, of walking with accuracy, of walking with exactness, much like a surgeon performs surgery on you. Imagine if you said to the surgeon, so tell me, you're pretty precise and accurate in exactness, right? It's like, yeah, you know, it depends on the day. It's kind of hit and miss for me. But anyway, you ready to rock and roll? No. But that's what we're commanded to do. We are to walk. We're to be careful and to walk the Christian life in a precise, accurate, and exact manner, do we? That's what Paul says. Not like, okay, hey, see you later, be careful. No, man, it's like, be careful. Walk with precision, accuracy, and exactness. Okay, so, so far, so good, right? For me, the question then becomes, why? Why? Why do I have to walk that way? Why do I have to be careful? To walk wisely, not foolishly, to understand the will of God, to make the most of our time. Verse 16 tells us, there's a word in verse 16 that says, because. What does it say after the word because? What does it say? Because what? The days are evil, that's why. Because the days are evil, that's why we need to understand the will of God. That's why we need to make sure that we're spending our time wisely. That's why we need to walk wisely. That's why we need to make sure we're not walking foolishly because the days are evil. Hey, look, there's merit, I suppose. There's merit if we walk wisely and not foolishly, if we make the most of our time. There's merit in that. But the why, the purpose, is because the days are evil. Church, listen, we may not be able to get to do this much longer this way. There's a chance that we we won't be able to do this to gather publicly without persecution. Because that's happening all around the world. Do you understand that, right? And so we're to make the most of the opportunities that we have because the days are evil. Amen? So this speaks to purpose. It speaks to purpose. We're to walk this way because we are to be people of purpose. So it's a great question for us. Do we live our lives on purpose? Do you and I live our lives on purpose? Do we live on purpose? If so, what is it? What is that purpose? I think that's why that book flew off the shelf years ago, Rick Warren's book about the purpose-driven life. It just flew off the shelf. So many people are saying, what's the stinking purpose of life, man? We of all people should know what our purpose is. 
Let me ask you another question. What are you bothered by? What are you bothered by? What are we bothered by? Are we bothered by the reality that the days are evil? Does that bother us? Are we bothered by the reality? This was written 2,000 years ago. Are we bothered by the reality that the days are evil? Because I think that's a good place for us to start. Because then it's like, this is why we need to do all these things. This is why we need to be careful, make the most of our time, walk wisely, not be foolish. Because the days are evil, I've got to get to work. I've got to calibrate my heart and my life and my mind. And I think it's a good place for us to start. It's a good reminder for us. And then perhaps we'd be careful. We would understand God's will. We'd make the most of our time. And you know what comes next? See, Paul, he's priming the pump, baby. He's saying, we got work to do. The days are evil. We, the church, we should be people of purpose. And then in the next chapter, he talks about the armor of God. We're in a battle is what he's preparing his people. Because the days are evil. And so he's going to say, put on the full armor of God, which comes up in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at Colossians 4, verse 5 about how we're to conduct ourselves. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. All right, so do you guys, how many of you guys know that I got a dog recently? Our family, we got a puppy dog, right? Some of you guys know that. And so um, it, it's, a, it's a man's dog. It's a Yorkie poo. And I mean, it's like 6.2 pounds of meanness, right? So uh, we live in a townhome complex. We moved in there a couple years ago. And it's funny, there's like almost 200 units in our complex. And I didn't know, man, we knew a few people. You get a dog and you start walking the dog, you meet everybody. It's crazy. And like everybody has a stinking dog, man. This dog for me is the most evangelistic tool I've ever had in my life. Everybody likes a puppy dog. I'm like, right, six, oh, so cute. So last week, I'm walking the dog, and this gal had moved into her complex about a month or so ago named Jennifer. And I start chatting with Jennifer because she's, oh, the dog, right? So I got a captive audience, right? So I said to Jennifer, I go, hey, Jennifer. This is after we got to know each other for about a minute and a half. I figured that was long enough. And so I said, hey, hey Jennifer, are you a God-fearing woman? That's just, I, it's a question I like to ask. I just are, are you a God-fearing woman? And she says, well, actually, I am. And she was a little sheepish. And, she, and I says, where are you going to church, Jennifer? Are you serving the Lord? Are you going to church? Well, um, not as much as my mother would like me to, she says. She's like in her late 40s, right? And I said, well, Jennifer, you need to get your butt in church and do your mama proud. And she says, where, where's your church? So that was just last week. I don't think she's here. Jennifer, are you here? <laughs> Pray for Jennifer, right? I, I, I want to. I want to make the most of every opportunity I have. And sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I get caught up with other stuff. But I want to make the most of, of the opportunity. I'm not getting any younger. I want to live my, wife, my life wisely. I want to make the most of the time. I want to be careful how I walk. I want to understand what God's will is. And so here's my challenge to you as a church. Here's my challenge to every single one of you sitting here. Ask the Lord to bring somebody into your life that you can share Jesus with. Ask the Lord to bring somebody into your life that you can share Jesus with your way. Maybe it's not you to say, hey, are you a God-fearing man? Or, hey, are you a God-fearing woman? Maybe that's not your way. But the Lord will show you. Ask the Lord to bring somebody into your life that you can share Jesus with. Why? Because the days are evil. And we're to make the most of our time. 
Verse 16 says, making the most of our time. And it's a skill. It's a skill that we will develop continually and continually and continually, learning how to make the most of our time. I did that for 20, many of you know I did sales for food service sales for 20 something years, 25 years. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is what I did. I was assessing every day after every cold call, after every meeting, I was assessing if I was making the most of my time. I'd make a sales call and I'd get in my car and I'd beat myself up. I should have said this. I shouldn't have said that. I should have talked slower. I should have talked less. Whatever that is. And I'd go to the next one. I'd be like, oh man. For 20 something years, I never stopped that process of seeing if I was making the most of my time. That makes sense, right? And over years, I got better and I got better and I got better, but I never got perfect. But I just kept getting better. But imagine, that was just selling food, man. Imagine if we did that concerning the things of our God. If every night before we hit the pillow, if we could create that discipline of going, okay, should have said this, should have done that, shouldn't have bled time here, should have walked wisely here. If we did that every single night before we hit the pillow, asking the Lord, are we making the most of our time? I love kind of some encouragements that I see in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Verse 10 says to find out, try to learn what pleases the Lord. Verse 15 says be careful. And verse 16 says make the most of your time. It's like me saying to Maritza Camarina every time I see her, hey Maritza, good to see you. Go in the name of Jesus. Find out what pleases the Lord, Maritza. Walk carefully. Be careful how you walk and make the most of your time, Maritza. Go in peace. Maritza, find out what pleases the Lord. Be careful how you walk and make the most of your time. That would be a great way to depart from one another. Pastor Dave, it's good to see you. Make sure you go this week, finding out what pleases the Lord. Be careful how you walk, and make the most of your time. That's Ephesians 5 talk. Because the days are evil. Mm. But we need help, don't we? It's hard to do that in the flesh. We need help. Well, Paul has an answer for that. It's our second stanza found in verse 18. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. And so this command here, it has both a negative and a positive. uh, This verse, right? There's a negative and a positive command. The negative, don't be drunk. The positive, be filled with the Spirit. Because the first one, being drunk, that's uh, rather than controlling ourselves, the wine controls us. And the second one is rather than controlling self, the Holy Spirit controls us so much better. Perhaps it's better understood this way. In our relationship with God, we must learn day by day how to yield to Him, to the Holy Spirit. It's a thing that we learn to do. We learn how to yield, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, that we're not to lose heart, Though outwardly we're decaying, boy, I know that to be true, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That inwardly we learn how to be submissive, to yield day by day to the Holy Spirit. That's a day by day process. Don't give up. I've known some of you now for two plus years and I see you continue to learn day by day how to yield to God. Lord bless you for that. Let me give you a quick note. The Holy Spirit's indwelling of us, the Holy Spirit's sealing us as God's children, the Holy Spirit's baptism, that occurs the moment we put our trust in Christ. But we're commanded, nonetheless, to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. 
Let me put it to you this way. Each of us, each Christian, has all of the Spirit. But the command here from Paul is that the Spirit have all of him. Each Christian has all of the Spirit. The command here is that the Spirit have all of him. As we yield and learn how to yield completely to God. Amen? So, if not the Holy Spirit, (laughs) what are we being filled with? If we're not being filled with the Spirit of God, what are we filling our lives with? We fill it with a lot of stuff, don't we? These verses that we're into today, verses 15 through 21, they imply this, that we either fill our lives wisely or we fill our lives foolishly. That's what it means. You either fill it wisely, directed by the Spirit of God, by godly things, because we learn what pleases Him, we understand what His will is, and so we walk wisely, or we don't, and we walk foolishly. So let me ask you, does the Holy Spirit inhabit a large or small portion of your life? Does the Holy Spirit inhabit a large or a small portion of your life? If it's a large portion, my next question then is what's left? Sometimes it's like, yeah, the Lord inhabits a large portion of my life. Great, let's talk about that later. Let's talk about the portion that's left over that he's not inhabiting. Because that's the stuff that will get in the way. That's the stuff that will really hinder us from the Lord. The Lord wants to inhabit all of our stuff. He wants to fully indwell us. And it seems to me that this word dissipation in verse 18 is appropriate for our world today. The Greek word is asotia. And it means, listen, right? This today Is this today's world? It means extreme self-indulgence. Some Bibles call it debauchery. Or some, uh, uh, some you know, what, what the translations, right? Debauchery. Extreme self-indulgence, lavishness, or sinful license. That's our world today. Don't tell me what it can and can't do. That's this word dissipation, to be self-indulgent. Our verses 15 to 21, there's three things that it says not to do in these verses. Three things that it says not to do in verses 15 to 21. It says not to be unwise, not to be foolish, and not to be dissipated. That's what it says. Don't be, don't be unwise. Don't be a fool. Don't be dissipated. What that means is that the self-indulgent life is the life of an unwise, foolish person. That's what it means. And so instead of overindulging in self, we are to overindulge in the Spirit of God and be lavished upon by the Lord. And Paul actually talks about that when he opens up his letter back in Ephesians 1. Check it out. Go to Ephesians 1. Look at verses 7 and 8. In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the lavishness, the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Oh, we're to be indulgent in the things of the Spirit, not in the things of the flesh. And when, we, and when we are, then we'll see evidence of that, and that's what he talks about next in verses 19, 20, and 21, that we will have lives that are full of joy, that's verse 19. Lives that are full of thankfulness or gratitude, that's verse 20. And lives that are submissive to one another, that's verse 21. When we are filled by the Spirit, we will be people of joy, people of gratitude, and submissive to one another. Look at verse 19. It says, sorry, I've got to go back there. 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to God. Church, we're to be joyful. We're to be joyful. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we, of all people, are to be joyful. Amen? Let me tell you what Christian joy is. Christian joy is a deep experience of adequacy and confidence in spite of circumstances. Adequacy and confidence in spite of circumstances. Let me give you an analogy. There's a thermostat, and then there's a thermometer. A thermometer is not what we're to be. A thermometer says whatever things are outwardly, it just tells you if it's hot or cold. We're to be a thermostat. We set the temperature of our environment. Does that make sense? We bring joy into whatever environment. We set the temperature. A thermometer just measures the temperature. It's like, oh, things are good. My spirituality is good. Oh, things are bad. My spirituality is bad. I'm just a thermometer. I go up and down with the circumstances. That's not what we're called to. We are called to thermostat Christianity. Which are we today? Are we thermometer Christians up and down with the circumstances? Or do we breathe joy into the circumstances of our life? Because we choose to be thermostat Christians. Do you remember, I think it's in the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were in a jail, in a Philippian jail. Do you remember what they were doing? They were crying and whining and moping, weren't they? No. What were they doing? They were praising the Lord, man. They set the thermostat of that jail in Philippi. That's pretty remarkable. So we are to be joyful. The second thing is we're to be thankful. Listen. We're to be thankful. That's what it says in verse 20. Always giving thanks for what things? For all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, in relationships, my wife and I have been married 29 plus years. In relationships, in our relationship with our children, with our friends, with our Lord, with whatever. When we begin in relationships to take one another for granted, it's a cause of strain. It's one of the chief causes of strain if we start taking each other for granted. It'll create strain in that relationship. Well, it's no different with God. If we don't have gratitude and thankfulness in all things, at all times, towards the Lord, it'll create strain in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Listen. My life is full of speed bumps that are ugly, nasty. Every once in a while when I drive, I hit those speed bumps and people are, you know, shooting darts at me. Like, I have my stuff, right? Just like you. I have my stuff. I'm no different than you. I have my stuff. Life is challenging, you bet. But I am telling you, when I describe my life, I say to people, I live a charmed life, man. I live a charmed life. I am so grateful for so much stuff. I have so many things to be grateful for. I'm, I'm hyper aware of all the things that God has done for me. We, of all people, are to be the most grateful. We of all people should be the most grateful. I am so, so incredibly blessed. Oh, I have my speed bumps. Oh, I got things whizzing by me. I get it. I know you do too. But I am uber aware of how thankful I am for so many things that God has done in my life. It's crazy. We've, we've said this many times over the years, my wife and I, when things outwardly seem to be falling apart, I say, you know what? If all we have is a healthy marriage and kids that love us, Man, we're rich beyond our wildest, right? We, we say that all the time. 
All the time we say that. We're good. We got, we got, we've been given so much. Our marriage is good and our kids seem to like us. Eh, take the rest. And so I want to encourage you, listen, I want to encourage you to confess your ingratitude. If you haven't been grateful for some things and, and God's kind of prod in your heart, I'd encourage you to confess your ingratitude. If you have not been thankful for some things that you need to be thankful for, I would encourage you to confess that to the Lord and then thank Him for it. Okay? Colossians 2 says this. It says, Therefore, as you have, re- as you have received Christ, walk in Him. You're firmly rooted and being built up in Him and established in your faith as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Is that you? It's me. I'm telling you, it's me. I'm so grateful. Oh, I complain about some things here and there. Sure, I get it. We are to be overflowing with gratitude. And lastly, verse 21, which we'll unpack more next week, this idea of being submissive to one another. It says in verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of our Lord. Let me say this one thing about this verse, and we'll do more next week. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he was teaching us this. This is what he was teaching us. That the, that the greatest is he who uses his authority to build others up. When we understand that, then we can learn what it means for husbands and wives and, and children and parents and, and, and bosses and, co- and workers, employees. When we realize that our authority, if we are in a place of authority, is to build the other person up. That's what Christ was all about. That's the only way we can understand submission. Amen? Let me bring it home this way. There's 11 things in these seven verses. 7-11. <laughs> Right? So in these seven verses, there's 11 things that we're told to do. The first one is we're to walk carefully. The second one is we're to walk not as unwise. The third says we're to walk as wise. The fourth one is we're to make the most of our time. The fifth one is we're not to be foolish. The sixth one is we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. The seventh one is we're not to be dissipated. The eighth one is we're to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The ninth one is we're to sing and make melody to the Lord. The tenth one is we're to always give thanks. The eleventh one is is we're to submit to one another. Wow, Lord, that's a pretty big list. And I would say to you this, it's doubtful, improbable, yea, I'd say it's impossible to achieve any of those 11 without being empowered by the Holy Spirit that talks about in verse 18. Can't do it. Amen? What a good word for us. In fact, in verse 18, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, it's a command. It's a command of our Lord to be filled with His Spirit. If not, we will walk foolishly and not wisely. We will fail to make the most of our time. And we will lose sight of the fact that the days are evil and our purpose will become cloudy at best. 